there. I'm your host, Leslie Randolph. I'm a self-confidence coach for teenage girls and the self-confidence coach you wish you had as a teen. Honestly, I'm the self-confidence coach I wish I had as a teen because I know I could have saved myself and my mother a whole lot of heartache if I'd only known then what I know now. I hope to save you some of that suffering by sharing the lessons I learned late in life right here on Why Didn't They Tell Us. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, happy people. Welcome back to Why Didn't They Tell Us. Always awesome to be back in a room with you and to share lessons I learned late in life and to share the wealth of knowledge and wisdom from other industry leaders who do similar or complementary work to confidence coaching. Today's guest is one of them, and I'm so excited to have her here. But before I get into my intro, um, I wanted to share the inspiration for the conversation. After coaching humans ages 11 to 75, I had an epiphany. It seemed no matter who I was coaching, no matter their age or stage of life, no matter what it was they were coming to coaching for, self-confidence was always the barrier to achieving what they desired or, or a lack of self-confidence. And it showed up in so many different ways, right? There was insecurity and a very low or loathing opinion of themselves, doubt in their ability to do, be, or achieve what they desired, a lack of trust in themselves to follow through with what they said they wanted and then the necessary steps that they wanted to take to achieve it, and anxiety at the mere thought of even trying. (laughs) Does any of that resonate? Yep, me too. I always say, I am every woman I hope to help, and that includes teens who are overwhelmed with that doubt, insecurity, and anxiety, but also that teenage girl that still exists in all of us well beyond our teenage years. Because let's be honest, most of us didn't have confidence coaches when we were teenage girls, so in many ways, we're still operating from that same mindset. So let me explain. My inner teen, she was very present when I started my corporate career. She had crippling imposter syndrome, always worried she was out of her league or ill-equipped to do the job, even though I wasn't. (laughs) My inner teen made her presence known when I became a mom, telling me everything I was doing wrong and every way in which I was screwing up my kids. And yes, that inner teen also had words when I left that corporate career to pursue my dream of becoming a coach and helping others go after goals chase dreams, or create a life of their dreams. I'll be honest, my inner teen rolls her eyes every time I say the words, life of your dreams. (laughs) So when I realized that the universal pain point for just about everyone I had the privilege of coaching was self-confidence, that that awesome alchemy of self-awareness and self-trust, self-love and belief in self, I focused my practice on just that. And knowing that the source of this suffering started in our formative years, I chose to work with teens to get in on that base level of their belief system to show them that loving and believing in themselves was a choice that they could always make. That cheering yourself on will always feel better than beating yourself up. And it's actually much more motivating. That you can always choose to think highly of you. That you can always choose to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and try again. And the goal of all of this, for those teens to become independent and healthy adults. 
but they can't do it alone. Parents play a critical role in this. And that's what we're going to talk about today with Dr. Lee Weiss. Dr. Lee Weiss is a, clinic, a licensed clinical psychologist in private, private practice at Coping Partners on Chicago's North Shore. After 15 years of working with children, adolescents, families, and adults in many settings, Dr. Weiss has extensive knowledge on what it takes to raise and become an independent and healthy adult. And I can't wait to hear the tips and tools she offers her clients and their parents and the ones she will share with us today. Dr. Weiss, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just thrilled that you're here. So before we kick off, why don't you tell us a bit more about you and why you do what you do? Sure, sure. Um, so I have a group practice called Coping Partners in Northbrook. Um, and all of the therapists at our practice tend to work with children, adolescents, and families, some of us with adults as well, um, but all doing parenting work as well. And I think that we live in an era and we live in a community, a wonderful community, but a community that, um, like many others across the nation, is struggling in certain ways um, in terms of the parenting challenges unique to now. And so I find it very fulfilling to be able to both relate, you know, um, as someone who, who also is rearing kids in this area um, and help other parents as as they deal with the challenges of, you know, being a good parent and what that looks like in, in today's age. Yeah, I what if you can't see Lee, she definitely did air quotes with being a good parent because it's kind of like that inner teen that I was talking about, right? We have this idea of what a good parent looks like and what we should be doing. And, you know, I didn't get my manual. Did you get yours? <laughs> we have too many manuals actually. <laughs> so, the the old the old-fashioned parenting style did not require manuals. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If I think about my mom, even, even like through pregnancy and as I'm raising my children, well, we didn't do that. I did this. And you know, everything from not eating feta when I was pregnant to having car seats everywhere and, you know, always an opinion. Absolutely. For sure. Um, There's so much, there's so much information overload that it can get overwhelming for parents. 1000% and conflicting information, right? Like for every Google search you do or friend you ask, you can find the alternative just as easily. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's a tricky one, but we're going to go with you as the gospel today (laughs) and assume that Dr. Weiss has it all. So, you know, as we talk about raising independent, healthy adults, um, you know, what, what are the characteristics of an independent and healthy adult? Mm-hmm. Well, so I do, I do like to work with parents, even no matter the age of their child and kind of work backwards. So if we think the goal is to launch healthy, independent adults, you want to think to yourself, what does that look like? So when they're about to go to college or get their own apartment for the first time, what does that look like? And what skill set do they need to have um, to be able to do all sorts of things in this world? without us. Um, and so, you know, hopefully we're still there in their lives at that point, but we're certainly not right there on campus with them, you know, sleeping in their dorms and things like that. So I think one characteristic I think is really important to have is grit, um, which Angela Duckworth coined that term. And it's, it's really the ability to persevere through challenges, you know, not to give up right away at the first, uh, the first moment of discomfort or challenge. 
Um, I think another one is obviously, as you know, Leslie, is having confidence in your own abilities. So you have to have the abilities, but also you have to have confidence in yourself um, and in your ability to function independently, again, without an adult right there. Um, I think another one is having a growth mindset. So even if I'm struggling and I'm not able to do something yet, just kind of having the self-confidence that I'll get there and that I, I know how I've done this before. Um, and then of course, life skills, which we'll get to, um, that take, you know, practice that you don't develop them all overnight, the night before you pack up your bags to go, you know, off to college, right? You have to like work backwards and figure out what steps do I need to be able to get to where I want to get then. Absolutely. Oh, I love all of those. You know that I love confidence, but I think all of them tie in to each other. And, you know, if we have that, those as a base, there's literally just nothing you can't do. You will not just, you know, survive college. You will thrive. You will not just get through adulthood. You will thrive. Mm -hmm. I'll Um, give you one one more that I forgot to mention first, the ability to withstand um, discomfort emotionally, you know, every kind of way. Yep. I think that that's one of the, I I give a spoiler alert in my coaching of like self-confidence is not a singular sensation. It is not, it does not stand alone. Self-confidence requires you to be able and willing to feel all the feels mm-hmm. and even the really uncomfortable ones. Absolutely. Um, so I, I, I agree. Critical. So we know, we know the destination. Awesome. <laughs> we got grit, we got life skills, we get self-confidence and we have, you know, the ability to to withstand, if not embrace discomfort, if we tap into that growth mindset. Mm-hmm. So we're going to break it down a bit. Tell me what parents can do when their children are teens mm-hmm. to foster these characteristics within them. As parents of teens, of course, you're worried about them in today's day and age, right? We don't have the free range parenting that our parents had, um, or maybe more realistically grandparents, um, depending on who's listening, you know, and where people would just kind of go play in the neighborhood for hours on end, certainly with no cell phones, no tracking devices, you know, parents probably didn't even know where their kids were. Now parents are, you know, raising kids and raising teens in a in a place where they're worried about their safety and security and always know where they are. And so I think part of what parents' jobs are to do is to actually give them, you know, a little bit more space, um, not maybe what it used to be, but a little bit more space to figure things out for themselves to struggle a little bit more. Um, so an example, uh, and this may be more like a tween example, But I know a lot of parents um, of like middle schoolers will give their kids a credit card or a debit card when they want to walk to town to get a Starbucks with their friends or walk around, you know, the stores. And I always ask, like, why, why do they have a credit card? You know, is it their own credit card? Is it yours? And the parents will say, well, we don't want them to lose the money or have to worry about making change and be stressed out. I'm like, okay, um, I guess I understand the, the rationale and right. How will they ever learn how to make a change from a $10 bill and how to do that mental math, you know, um, and how to, you know, make sure they are putting their money in a safe place, right? And figure out where that would be. And how do you check that you have it? How do they figure out any of those skills if you're just making it that easy on them? 
And money also, by the way, is kind of like an imaginary, um, totally non-concrete thing if it's it's just a card. So like all of those lessons they're missing out on because the parents spared them that experience. So it's not that these parents are ill-intentioned, of course not, right? They're trying to like make sure it's a little bit easier for their kid. But the more we make things easier, sometimes we deprive them of these challenges that will actually teach them a valuable life lesson. It requires the same skills in us, right? Because my instinct is to worry. But even as you were talking about like, walking in our uptown community, like crossing Mm -hmm. busy streets. Mm -hmm. My mama bear is like, no, I'm going to bubble wrap this child until they go to college. But that's such a disservice because they need to figure out how to cross the street. Right. And go, and hopefully you've taught them, right. You're not going to let them cross the street at age three, right. You're, you're, you're trusting your parental instincts that there are certain ages where they're just too young to do those things without you present. So you teach them the skills. How do you look both ways? How do you make sure to look both ways again when you're in the middle of that street? You know, how do you do that at a young age with with your, you know, yourself present and then let go and trust that, no, I'm determining that they're old enough to do this and that they will, you know, and, and let them have that experience. Um, because if not, right, you can like literally drive your car and watch them cross the street, but you can't do that forever. And actually then some of those kids will actually look down the whole time because they know their mom is making sure that the, that the coast, the coast is clear. So it's, it's about stepping back, um, not hovering or, helicoptering, you know, being a helicopter parent quite as much. Um, again, no one has bad intentions when they do this. And of course, we all do this sometimes, but trying to protect them less and allow them to figure it out a little bit more. I always say when we hover, we take away opportunities for growth. Yeah. And that growth is really just their ability to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And this could be any executive functioning uh, realm. Like if there's a kiddo who's not great at organization, you know, you're going to help them when they're little to, to develop a system, right? To get a planner, to check with them every night. You know, do you have your bag packed for the next morning? By the time they're teenagers, right? If they forget something, you don't necessarily, they text you and they say, I forgot my whatever. You don't want to necessarily just be like, I'll be right over. I'm going to leave work and I'm going to quickly like sweat and do whatever I can to be super mom and get it to you. It's almost better if you have a reason you can't because then they learn, oh, that didn't feel so good to not turn in my homework. I lost some points and tomorrow I'm going to make sure to check better and make sure I've got everything organized and ready to go in my backpack. Mm, yeah, that I I love all of that. It, it, if we stop being super mom, it gives them the opportunity to be their own superhero. Mm-hmm. And that is not without their, and again, this is our skill that, that Dr. Weiss talks about, that it it's not without discomfort. They are going to feel probably embarrassed. They might feel that twinge of shame that comes with I forgot this or, you know, the disappointment of the teenager or not the teenager, excuse me, the teacher. Mm -hmm. But it also then teaches them, A, I don't want to feel that again. So what can I do differently? But B, ooh, those negative emotions don't, don't hurt me. I can survive negative emotions as well. That's a great point, Leslie, because it's funny that example with the second part of it is so true. Some kids who are really, um, you know, seemingly perfect academically and never would miss an assignment and never would get 
below an A plus on a test, right? Some of those kids present in therapy with significant anxiety about the what if I ever do, you know, disappoint someone or what if I ever don't get an A plus and they really think the world will end. They really can't imagine how they will get through that anxiety, that experience. And it creates this incredible anxiety for them versus the kid who goes, well, it didn't feel great. You know, I did get points deducted. I didn't get perfect on that. You know, people were looking at me, but two minutes later, I was fine, you know, and the kids were focused on something else in the classroom. And, you know, I, I turned it in the next day and I received half credit. Like the world did not end. Another example would be like, again, with middle school girls and the drama, you know, some of the parents get very involved trying to kind of figure out how they can get their child um, or their teenager at that point at the right lunch table. You know, if there's anxiety around a Halloween group, maybe we can just offer to host and then, you know, voila, we can create that perfect situation, right? And so instead of just sort of acknowledging to their teenage girl, middle school is hard. I always say the goal is survival of middle school. <laughs> you got to get through it. You know, it's okay if you don't have lifelong friends from it. Maybe you do, but most don't. And, but we got to get you through it, you know? And so, but the idea that the parents would allow them to also experience some, some meanness and, and know that they can develop skills, whether it's asserting themselves, choosing the right people to hang out with, um, standing up for themselves, you know, whatever, making a change in lunch tables, like whatever those skills are, that they can handle it, even though it is uncomfortable, and we wish it wasn't uncomfortable for them, um, but not trying to rescue them from the experience. You touched on this so perfectly, Dr. Weiss. It's not that, you know, there's no ill intention to it. It's truly that we, we, love our children so much that we don't want to see them suffer. And so with the best of intentions, we try to minimize that emotional discomfort. But ultimately what you're saying, if the goal, and that is the goal, we want them to thrive in adulthood. We want them to be equipped for it. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is actually, it, it's prolonging the suffering that will come then when mm -hmm. the stakes are actually higher. A hundred percent. And sometimes parents have had their own bad experiences at the same, you know, stage of development that their kids are at. So if a parent had a particularly difficult time as a teenager, they may be triggered and really for their own sake, not want to have their child suffer at all. And again, like you said, of course, we understand where that comes from. And we feel for those parents who are kind of re-traumatized in a way going through this again. And yet, they're going to do their kids a disservice if they really tru truly try to jump in and rescue too much. Anything else you would specifically say for grit or self-confidence? Yeah, well, let's let's start with grit. Um, I think it's interesting. Again, in a lot of the affluent areas um, where kids are just as part of the community we live in, they're kind of overscheduled. Um, we tend to deprive kids unknowingly of hard work. Um, and I'm talking like manual labor, hard work, chores. You know, um, if we were lived on a farm, right, the kids from a very young age would be like milking cows and, you know, doing hardcore work. And they wouldn't have dinner on the table if they didn't. So survival depended on it. 
with Instacart and, you know, 24 hour grocery stores and all these conveniences, Amazon packages coming the day, the same day that you order them. We really aren't depending on our kids in the same way, um, to do their, their fair share of work. And so a lot of times it's more work for the parents to get the kids to do or the teens to pitch in. And so they just don't. And again, it's not, it's not their fault, you know, like it's not that parents aren't trying, but it's, it's hard to juggle so many different goals and still get to the carpool on time and still do all the things that we need to do in our own jobs to function. So I would say one of the best things that parents can do, um, and it's not too late to start if you have a teenager is to expect their kids to do work in the home to contribute, whether it's taking out the trash, walking the dog, emptying the dishwasher, um, you know, anything that you need done, think about it that way and require them to pitch in, including their homework. So it doesn't mean homework's an excuse. Um, in real life, when they're in their apartment one day and they have a roommate, they're going to be expected to keep the kitchen tidy and to do dishes and not just leave a huge pile for someone else to do. Um, or they might have to like defer some fun plan to sit and write a paper, you know, in college or to do work at their job and cancel a fun outing. So we need to teach them to prioritize and to make sure to do some actual hard work in addition to all the fun stuff that, that of course we want them to, to do too. Oh, I love all of that. And I, it's so funny because I've noticed in conversations with one of my girlfriends, uh, a, like a Leslie, the, the life coachism that keeps coming up is I just didn't have the energy for that battle. And so I, and I, as you were talking about that, I was like, I've noticed that it also requires me mm -hmm. to have my own discomfort as you were talking of like, I'm going to need to have the energy to have that battle. If my long-term goal is X mm -hmm. then yeah, of course, they're going to push back on me when I say, all right, guys, we're going to go sit and do the laundry. And I also use it as an opportunity to sit and talk to them, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm going to do it with you because this is just family time unbeknownst to you. <laughs> Absolutely. And also the kids who go to college who've been doing their laundry for four years, it doesn't feel like hard work. They're totally, they're not even thinking about it that way. The kids who've never had to do one load and go and have like a typed up instruction manual of how to do it are stressed. They're overwhelmed. They're anxious. You know, on top of navigating social situations and academics, they're like, I have no idea how to cook clean or, you know, call to make my own doctor's appointments. So Anything that you can kind of like, again, thinking about that college age kid or first department age kid, work backwards and try to think what skills would I like them to have? Just practice, but make it age appropriate. And I think parents have a good sense of what that, what that is. I mean, we're not going to send a five-year-old to go grocery shopping by themselves, you know, and then walk, walk the grocery cart home, right? That would be ridiculous in our, in our area, era. Um, but obviously a high schooler can definitely pick up a list of groceries, right? and check out and talk to the person at the checkout and make sure they have the right change and, you know, all of that. Yeah. I'm also thinking what a gift it is to these, these young adults or these future, these teens, future selves for their future partners too. Yes. Of yes. like teach and teaching our, our sons and our daughters, those same skills and, you know, demonstrating that balance of we all chip in we, you know, it, there's equality in the home. Uh, mm -hmm. We could go on a whole different tangent. I won't even. Uh, that's <laughs> awesome. Dr. Royce, how about self-confidence? What are your, 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 your tips and tools of how we can foster that? Yeah. So I think 
with anything else, when, when the kids are little, they're looking to you for approval, um, for, you know, checking to make sure they're doing something right. They're learning how to tie their shoe for the first time. Like you need to be involved in that. They have no clue without you. Um, but you know, if you're checking your child's papers, right. You know, think about, is this, is this helpful? Maybe, right. Maybe they're really struggling in a subject and and they actually do need a once over and that's fine. You know, or are you checking a hundred times because they're a little perfectionistic and they want to know that they're going to get an A plus. Right. But it's really at, at some point changing from their work to your work. Um, think about how much they need you and rely on you versus how much they're learning to rely and trust their, themselves. So I always think about I, I was a camper. So I always think about rock climbing and this analogy of if the parent is the person on the ground. Um, and if you've ever seen someone rock climb they're they're basically they've got these big, uh, you know, belts attached to them and they've got a really long rope and they're supporting their child who's rock climbing up this wall or a real rock and the child's connected to them, you know, through this rope. And if the child needs to, you know, they're, they're struggling, like maybe it's a subject they're really not so good at, or it's a skill set they really need some more hand holding on. Fine. Then you can tighten the rope um, or, or tighten the slack and be there for them. But as they get older, as they've done a task over and over and you want them to just feel more confident, you have to give them less tension, more slack in the rope um, so that they can just climb. And maybe they'll fall a little bit, right? If, if they don't got it, but they're not going to fall to the ground, right? They'll maybe fall an inch more. You're still there, but the distance that you're helping them from is, is growing. And so, you know, again, as kids get older, we tend to want to increase this distance, which doesn't mean we're not supervising them. It doesn't mean they're throwing rager parties at our house and we're not home. It's not what I mean at all. Um, but letting them do tasks a little bit more on their own, um, again, to be able to feel confident. We've had a couple of clients in our practice who um, come to us when they were very academically superior, we'll call them, students, um, got into Ivy League colleges and couldn't stay freshman year because they couldn't navigate the situations without their parents. So that's what I think about when I think about, right, it's not just academics. It's not just are they smart kids. It's do they have these other skills that we're trying to prepare them for and confidence that they can do it without their parents right there. Yeah. Yeah. And their ability to handle it. And again, that then goes back to, and I loved it so much what you said of their ability to handle discomfort and sit in discomfort and from there to figure it out on their mm -hmm. own and have mm -hmm. that self-trust that they can mm -hmm. and and to have, I think, you know, you talked about something so interesting because self-confidence really is a, an inside job. But yeah, as young people, they we look externally and even as grownups, we do this for validation that like, what I, is what I'm thinking of myself, right? Um, but, you know, our, our children at every age is, are going to borrow our belief. So if we're willing to, you know, loosen the slack on the rope, as Dr. Weiss says, that lets them say to themselves, like, all right, mom, trust me. Mm -hmm. Mom, mom thinks I got this. Mm -hmm. So maybe I can borrow that belief and trust myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes for time away from parents as a skill, practicing that time away. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of young parents I work with who are really worried about getting a babysitter. 
you know, and what will that be like if they miss me and if they're crying? And, and again, if they're, if they're going away to overnight camp for the first time and just having more experiences, sometimes teenagers do travel by themselves, you know, to visit someone in another state. Like, what does that look like? Them navigating an airport without you there. Just all these little things going on a job interview, right? Parents usually don't accompany you know, teenagers to job interviews, right? So you prepare them, you coach them, but from afar. Yeah. You you brought up something for me. I was in one of my favorite stores and uh, I was talking to the manager and she had said to me that the mother of a college aged young lady came in and was like, my daughter's looking for work. And she said, I would never hire this girl on principle of if mom is coming in to apply for the job, and of course, mom has the best intentions, right? But right, right. Yeah. exactly, exactly. And and we get that a lot. People will call a parent of a thirty year old, right? And it's like, well, can can you have the thirty year old call, please? You know, we'd love to help them, but we need to talk to them. They're they're now an adult. Absolutely. But what else should parents maybe stop doing if they desire to foster these characteristics uh, in their teens to become these these thriving adults? I think also just the emotional discomfort piece or frustration tolerance, however we want to term that, if the parents can let them feel what they're feeling and just listen and be there, that would give them a a life skill as well. So, um, you know, I'm thinking about grief and and loss. I just had a client who was struggling with that. And, you know, of course we all, we all do when we, when, when we are having to deal with something so, so sad and so difficult, but I've had families where like a pet, fish dies and they replace the fish before the kiddo could ever know. Or um, the teenager's dog dies and the parent says to the teenager, let's go get a new one. Let's go to the farm and we're going to pick out a new one who's going to be the same type and and come on, we're going to go. And trying to like quickly distract the kiddo or the teenager in this case, um, as opposed to just letting them process that and be sad and cry and be angry and it's okay. Like that's part of life. We need to be able to do that and model it for our kids. But I think again, parents are so uncomfortable sometimes watching their kids be sad, be depressed, be lonely, be, you know, whatever, fill in the blank that they do what they can to get them out of it prematurely. And so the kiddo or the teenager never really can fully process that experience and, and know I can get through this. And it was, it was hard. And I know that I can do it again when I need to. I think that's such a great example. And yeah, and it requires us to also, as parents, then sit with our discomfort of watching our children navigate big emotions. Yeah. But ultimately, what what a payoff it will be um, mm-hmm. because that that's part of life. And I, I often, if a, if a client comes to me and will say, you know, they'll share something that's very hard happening in their world if it is a... An, you know, a sick grandparent or, you know, one of those just really hard life moments. And, you know, whether it's the loss of a dog or loss of someone you love. And I always say, I'm not going to coach you to a, you know, because coaching is like, okay, let's just think of it from a different perspective. And it's like, no, that that's not what this is. Right. Part of coaching is we learn to sit with those emotions and we just feel them. Mm -hmm. I don't want to change my perspective of, how much I loved my dog or how much I love my grandparent. Right. I just need to know that I can sit here and be sad. Right. And come out on the other side of it. Right. 
right? These are life human experiences that we, we have to figure out and, and we have to, to deal with. We, we don't get a choice, right? Life is not going to be all happy. It's going to be the yin and the yang. It's going to be the good and the bad. And so just teaching them and, and again, letting them have more confidence that if and when these, these sucky parts of life come, they'll be able to get through it. They won't want to have to deal with it, but they will. And and the same is true for even, you know, less unfortunate events like homework in middle school and high school. I say to my clients, it's never going to be sunshine and rainbows. And if it is, I'm so happy for you. But, <laughs> but graduating, passing the class, those are wonderful rewards and right. worth the work. So yeah. yes, we, for sure. we, can't, we can't make everything good. I, I want to touch on one other emotion that I think is probably a parenting challenge at any age this in this world we're living in boredom. Yeah. Yep. Letting our kids be bored. How I think this is so foreign to all of us right now. How can we foster a problem? Right. Yeah. yeah it's I, a problem I, in today's world with screens and technology and busyness um, that kids are just, they're not left to their own very often without a screen in front of them, I should specify. Um, and so creativity is down, uh, ability to make their own fun. And, and again, just sort of like figure out what they want to do to be independent goes down. They're really usually not left alone for hours, even in their backyard um, or in their room, right? So I think there's a lot more separation anxiety because parents are just so much closer physically. There's always like a body nearby or a, a babysitter, someone. Um, and again, I'm not suggesting we leave our kids at, you know, two years old by themselves, but, but there is a balance of like, you know, how can we cope with it and, and making sure it's not just on devices. And, and again, I think the reality of that is hard, but the kids do need to learn how to handle it. So when a kid has come in for therapy and the parent says, I don't know how to help him. He has no idea. He says, I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. The first thing I assess is I wonder if I'm bored really means I'm bored or does it mean I'm depressed? Um, like, does it mean something else? If it truly means I'm bored, and sometimes it does, like they don't know how to entertain themselves. I know this sounds kind of strange, but we'll actually come up with a few choices, you know, like a menu of a few choices, and we'll write them down together. They're, of course, coming up with the ideas themselves, or we'll create a board box, something that they can do to practice this idea of, oh, I'm in my room and I'm bored. I could read a book. I could listen to music. I could, you know, make some string bracelets. Like these are, I could do, you know, imaginative play with these figurines that I enjoy. And it starts there because they just don't know how in the same way that again, you know, kids always knew how to play from day one, you know, it was never a skill we needed to teach them. Um, but giving them confidence that they can do it and that they can be alone with those feelings. They might miss their parent. They might, you know, they might feel bored and something could come from that. Right. And so just giving them that confidence to practice that skill, because it is one, um, not all kids need that level of prescription, of course. Um, but it's okay to be bored and look out the window in a long car ride and the parent not feel like they have to, you know, quickly entertain them. Um, so just us kind of, again, letting go of that feeling of, okay, they might be bored and they'll get through it. And that's okay. And that's okay is one of my favorite lines. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. No one ever died of boredom. Dr. Weiss, you have been a wealth of knowledge and information and I, I so appreciate it. Before we wrap up today, you know, you've given us a lot of them, but if we went to like your greatest hits album, <laughs> what tips, tools can you offer parents, you know, if, 
if this was it, this was the manual we've all been waiting for to raise healthy, independent adults, what, what would you offer? Yeah, I would say just give yourself permission as a parent to sit back and relax a little bit more than we probably all do, right, in your parenting style. So to let them do more and you do less would be kind of the overarching message. Um, to really remember that struggle is good. So to reframe that for yourself, right? Hovering too much is harmful because you're taking away those opportunities for growth. When something bad happens to your kiddo and it's really hard to watch or to your teenager, help yourself see that this is an opportunity for them to grow and learn something and problem solve. And that skill is something they're going to have forever. Um, and that, you know, again, you are, your goal is to launch a healthy, successful, independent adult. So as much as you want to be able to fix everything and be there, you know, sometimes just listening and being a support along this journey is the best thing you can do. Dr. Weiss, you are a wealth of wisdom as I had expected. And I so appreciate it. Any way you want to find Dr. Weiss is going to be in the show notes. Uh, so if you want to get get her one-on-one or her incredible team, you will know where to find her. So Thank you so much. Thank you. So why didn't they tell us that grit, self-confidence, life skills, all these incredible characteristics are what we are aiming to foster in our children? Well, we did know that. I just don't think we always knew the how. (laughs) It requires us to have a lot of the same in ourselves. And when we allow our kids to to struggle, to figure it out without super moms swooping in, that is what will launch them into being the adults we want them to be and know they can be. Till next time, my friends. Hey, moms. If you're looking for some tips to help your teen daughter cultivate confidence, I've got you. Uh, Click the link in show notes. For my free guide, Six Simple Steps to Help Your Teen Cultivate Self-Confidence. You can also find additional resources on my website at confidencecoachforgirls.com. That's confidencecoachforgirls.com. You got this, mama. I got you always. Love what you hear? Well, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at confidencecoachforgirls.com. That's confidencecoachforgirls.com. Or email me at lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. That's lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you.